Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to Vodka O'Clock. This is another episode that was recorded live at the 2015 Steampunk World's Fair. What you're about to hear is the lecture by a woman who went by the name of Lex. She was is going to be talking, you're going to hear the Alistair Crowley in Context lecture. Now, this was another case where the public speaker did not want to use any of the audiovisual equipment, in particular, a microphone. So she actually did have slides, but uh, it was very hard to hear her. She had a very calm and relaxed voice. So I tried to isolate her voice as much as possible and amplify that. So, you know, of course, these are things that happen when you're recording live events. And I hope that you can still enjoy the podcast. Uh, It's a really interesting subject. You don't have to be very knowledgeable about the occult to uh, really get anything out of this. You just have to go into it knowing that Aleister Crowley was uh, an important ceremonial magician. And he's a very controversial figure. Um, today's Wiccans and neo-pagans generally uh, disregard his teachings. So um, the, his followers are very specifically his followers. And I think Lex does a great job of keeping that balance, pointing out uh, what his failings were and what his strengths were. So if you have enjoyed the Steampunk World's Fair coverage here at Vodka O'Clock, please consider going to patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked and you can sponsor the show. Devil dumb, thrust the sword through galling fetter, all devourer, 
all together. Give me the sign of the open eye and token erect of thorny thigh. And the word of madness and mystery, O Pan, O Pan, O Pan, 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 I am a man. Do what thou wilt, as the great God can. The eagle slashes with beak and claw, the gods withdraw. The great beast come, E.O. Pan, I am born to death on the horn of the unicorn. O Pan, I am Pan, E.O. Pan, Pan, Pan. I am thy mate, I am thy man. Go to thy flock, I am gold, I am God. Flesh to thy bone, flower to thy rod. With hooves of steel, I race on the rocks through solstice, stubborn to equinox, and I rave, and I rape, and I rip, and I rend. Everlasting, world without end. Mannequin, maiden, mated men, in the might of Pan. Eo Pan, Eo Pan Pan, Pan Pan, Pan, Eo Pan. In 1913, this guy right here wrote that evocation to this god that we all know very well through our upbringing in this modern society as the devil, as Pan, as this idea of bestial humanity. And I wanted to open with this because I thought it was really important because we're here and we're talking about Crowley, the beast, 666 who was at one point the wickedest man of the world and kicked out of a variety of European countries with absolutely, like, Mussolini kicked him out of Italy. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, he was removed from France at one point, but, like, fucking Mussolini was like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. This guy, not into it. And kicked him and his entire group out of Italy. Just like, mm, we're not going to do this. So hey, my name is Erie. I'm Lex, Soror, LVX, whatever the fuck. Hey, I'm here to tell you something about this man who I think is really interesting and important and weird. And let me just tell Gypsy that she can let people in because she wasn't supposed to because I was yelling a poem. But, you know, just one second, one second. with who this guy is. Yay! Oh, you guys are great, and that makes me happy. So, uh, is anybody here a member of the OTO? I know we're not supposed to talk about it, but can I? <laughs> Whatever, you know, when he took that shit over, A, B, we all know what the ninth degree means. Like, we really don't have to, you know, like, hide it in terms. But, ah, uh, this guy. He founded a religion. He got kicked out of a bunch of countries. He climbed a lot of 
Cheated on his wives a lot, played a lot of chess. <laughs> He's like, oh, he was just, oh, he was so fucking fascinating. I don't even really understand how to start speaking about him besides talking about him from where he came from. So, Aleister Crowley was born in 1875. He's a Libra. He is, um, was born to very religious parents, and he was raised with a really strong knowledge of Revelation, and this is in part where we get the beast 666. His mom used to call him the beast when he misbehaved, and like, this is the book that he was incredibly familiar with. He was also incredibly familiar with Christian mysticism and Demacria, which is where we get a lot of the, the stuff that he comes up with, which is ridiculous. Is anybody here familiar with Crowley's writing intimately? Some of his works, it's other people's writings on his works, but to say one understands Crowley intimately. Oh, I'm not saying that I understand him intimately, but do they know what he was writing intimately? Like, are you familiar with Lieber Off? Anybody book of law? Yeah. Oh, yay! Oh, well, that makes this a lot easier. Because uh, this man, besides being the B666, the wickedest man in England, an enemy of the state, a spy, um, kind of an asshat to people that loved him, a very awful person to people that loved him sometimes. He also founded a really interesting spiritual philosophy, which we're going to cover later in this if we actually have time, because I only got 45 minutes to talk to you about <coughs> what may be the most interesting man in the world, if I'm going to be really honest about it. I want to talk to you a little bit about like where he grew up in and like where he came from. Not only did he come from a very strict Christian background, he grew up in a time where we didn't have the same um, understanding of science and philosophy as we do now. Including things, I have a picture here of uh, Mr. Uh, well, Joseph Merrick. Yes, Joseph Merrick, uh, the elephant man, who is, uh, has been described at times in Crowley's lifetime through maternal impression theory. Now, supposedly, his mother, while she was pregnant with him, was at a street fair, and there were elephants, and she almost got crushed by an elephant, and that's why he turned out this way. Because we didn't have the same understanding of science and philosophy that we do now. Um, criminal anthropology. RNAV from Philadelphia, or around Philadelphia. Woo! The Mooner Museum. Yes! Have we yes. looked at the, have we looked at the spell collections? Yes. Have we seen the, the words on the skulls talking about like ethnic origin, manner of death, and like you know this this whole collection was based on the, the philosophy that we can look at people's craniums and skulls and facial features and pretty much like judge you and to your words as like an individual and a human being. It like really links into eugenics. It's not great if you're not from a ruling class, I'm just saying. Like it doesn't, I mean, I'm Slavic and a lot of these skulls are from my area. Oh, this guy had a swing fight, he was a murderer. Oh, this guy tried to kill himself, but then he was fine and lived fine once his brain got destroyed. It was, it's all very strange. Um, female hysteria, which I, of course, have a love-hate relationship with on the love end. Hysteria, you know, allowed things such as, you know, the vibrator to be invented and come into common usage. 
on the Hayden since grief periods, uh, men have been using the excuse of wandering wombs to explain all sorts of things, like why I don't feel fulfilled as a person for not doing anything besides raising children, or why I have objections to the way that I'm being treated. Sexual repression, where we have a time where table legs are covered because they bring us thoughts of other things, and yet we have menus for brothels that women are not privy to, of course. It's kind of a, a really weird double-edged sword between politeness and obscenity. It's very strange, at this period of time especially. Um, there is a childhood. We have, on one hand, the model of children being little adults. We have, on the other hand, the model of children being completely innocent. And, you know, we could... Tomorrow we'll be talking a little bit about that in our Victorian sexuality panel at 11 p.m. Uh, talking about, you know, Lewis Carroll and like these theories of innocence and yeah, like the role of a child, child labor. It's all very convoluted depending on your class. It's very classist, which Crowley was very classist. I don't know if any of you know anything about his background. He was from the upper class. And he did a very particular theory it's about people and children, and he himself admitted that he would never have achieved spiritual advancement had he not been able to, you know, just, you know, meditate for years and years and years on end. Like, he was just allowed to travel. He was able to experience this lifestyle that didn't really require him to take care of himself. And he, in fact, through his occult advancement and his trying to propagate his occult theory through humanity, ran out of money, which is kind of funny how that ends up. Oh, and you know, then we have germ theory. Anybody know anything about germ theory? How that happened? You know, childbirth, washing hands, you know, people stopping dying when you wash your hands in between, you know, touching a corpse and a baby? It's surprising. It's incredible. Like, man. So, while this man was growing up, these are like some of the theories that were, were happening during his lifetime. So I'm just trying to give you a little bit of context as to what was going on with him as a human being and where he kind of went against the norm and where he went with it, because there's definitely a lot of both there. So this guy, this guy was a lot of things. And uh, I personally am coming from a perspective as you know, oh, oh look at that, my PowerPoint was poorly timed. But I'm just trying to give you a comparison as like, he was a very complicated individual, as any of us would be when born in the past. We can't really judge ourselves and judge our own world viewpoints against other people in the past, or else everybody's just awful and we're great. And that's not very fair. As an archaeologist, it just doesn't seem like the right thing for me to do. But um, so he's a poet. He wrote the hymn to Pan. He wrote a ton of poetry. He went to Cambridge for poetry. He was very Englishy and very smart, and loved the Bible and loved like epics and biblical shit. He was super into that. He was a mountaineer. He liked to climb things. He liked to you know hire Sherpas and up mountains or try to, even with kids, and then the kids die, and then he's like, oh, boo-hoo, my kid died, and it's this whole thing. Again, travel the world, teacher, member of the OTO, well, founder of the OTO as we know it, member of the AA, teacher, Buddhist, also atheist. When 
he died, he considered himself an atheist. I don't know if you all know that, but he totally did. Husband, he married the Rose, and through him was, uh, or through her, he received the law, which is a really interesting piece of literature, which hopefully we'll go over at the end. It's kind of weird. I still don't know how I feel about it. It's kind of a weird document. Also, an outsider artist developed a tarot card deck, and thank the gods he relied on another artist to do that because his art, his art is awful. It is just, it is so bad. I went to New York and I went to go see his art, like yay, Crowley art, in this outsider art festival, and it was just, it was sad. And I'm glad I got to see it, but it's like, oh, oh, honey, of course you needed Harris to do this tarot card deck. It's fine, but still, it's no good. So yeah, he had killed a dude in India. And, uh, and he got, that's one of the first times he, had to, he got kicked out of a country, which did happen. He, like, some guy tried to mug him, he killed him, and then like, he got chased out of the country, and it was this whole thing. He's very entitled, he's very white. Crowley was very white and British, as you can imagine. There was lots of this going on, like especially in India at the time. Like, everybody, we're all steampunk here, we know about, you know, yeah, so we can, we can visualize this. He was an adulterer. I don't really, I don't. Male and British and upper class. Male, Brit yeah, male, British, upper class, adulterer. Like he was, you know, and he had lots of sex and he also liked to, he liked to make women his mediums and he did this mainly through like prolonged sexual experience and alcohol. <laughs> and that's cool, like, I mean, it's, you know, as long as it's consensual, it's fine, but I'm just saying, like, that's just kind of, like, what happened with him. He was kind of a hustler, he definitely took some money from people after he became broke in 1914, after going through his fortune, publishing a bunch of stuff, and living off of a lot of money, and going on a lot of exciting expeditions, you know. He was He was not a very good spender of money. He was an awful spender of money. <sighs> Probably. So bad. Um, he was a really bad friend. Does anybody know anything about his friendships? Anything at all? Oh, God. He basically like turned around and bit the face of anybody that he ever loved, especially um, through the Golden Dawn. Golden Dawn, anybody? McGregor Mathers? Math like, all of that, like, it's like, oh yeah, oh, the gods told me that I'm, in fact, the owner of the New Order, BT Dubs. <laughs> <laughs> His revelation in 1904 was pretty much that, it was pretty funny. So the secret chiefs called me and they said that you guys weren't any more relevant, just saying, secret chiefs. I'm sorry. kind of an awful person and kind of a wonderful person and did a lot of like he was very complicated like all of us we all do awesome stuff and we all do shitty stuff to people that we know and people that we care about throughout our lives um, he was enemy of multiple countries like i said got kicked out of italy kicked out of france at one point like the english thought he was the worst guy in the world we're not into him we're not into what he was doing we're not into the golden dawn any of the hermetic stuff which is unfortunate 
but there was kind of a kickback at that point against the reemergence of spiritualism and secret societies. So it, it makes sense. And it's not like he was great at being Victorian at the time. I mean, he was really, he definitely believed in not veiling his vices and virtuous words. He had no virtuous words for the things that he did. And I mean, I think that's great, personally. I don't know about you all, but why wouldn't you be happy to stand up for the shit that you believe in? All the things that you do, why not? Um, oh yeah, he was classist, like we already, already discussed. And a misogynist, and uh, went back and forth on that at different times in his life. At one point, he was uh, very devoted to the love of new which is the goddess in his uh, whole theory of the world and the universe. But at the same time, wasn't very respectful to the women that he saw and saw women as inferior to men in a lot of cases. But at the same time, would also take women students and didn't restrict women from occult learning, which is great and definitely a throwback to the Golden Dawn where he found a lot of people. Separate entities, 
and then ignores it and goes on with his atheist Buddhist life and doesn't readdress it until about 1909, where he does a bunch of his best work up until 1914, publishes a bunch of Equinox editions, and then he's broke. And then things start to get really weird for him. He starts to kind of start hustling people, taking on students, taking their money, starting abbeys such as the Abbey of Dilema in 1919. But you know, he does some wonderful stuff, at least in my opinion. Is anybody familiar with the Toth Tarot deck? Do you guys like like what he's done with that? Like compared to the Rider Waite? Do you feel like there's a difference? Do you feel like using it there's a difference? Yes. Yeah. I especially appreciate the, the, uh, the symbolic value it holds reading the Book of Thoughts. Oh, yeah. On my little pet's presentation of oh, yeah. the, it, how astrology it, 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 it is structured, like yeah. deeply structured. Like, oh, this isn't just random. Yeah. Oh, and the way that they, he utilizes the past, like uh, one of uh, at least the like one of Crowley's main, um, is everybody here familiar at least in part with Kabbalah? Do they know what Kabbalah means? The Tree of Life, all of that stuff. So um, Crowley he switches some attributions through his tarot to the regular tarot. He switches specifically strength and justice, which he calls lust and adjustment, and therefore adjustment is broaching between severity and mercy, which makes a lot more sense Like when you're thinking of it from an esoteric point of view. And I apologize because it's really not a really good... I, I would love you to study it, and I'd love you to look at it and see the difference that it makes between like switching those attributions. And it really does. Um, it, it makes the whole deck feel differently. And Harris's, the way that she illustrates it and the way that Crowley approaches it is just Especially compared to Rigardi's Golden Dawn model. I don't know if anybody's seen the Golden Dawn deck, but it's just kind of depressing in comparison. Like I've been trying to like switch it up and I'm having a really hard time. I can't read the deck the same way that you read the Toth deck. I mean, the Toth deck is just very, Crowley's deck is blatant and obvious and colorful and it's clear. And it, it wants to, yeah, it communicates with you successfully. It's very, it's a successful deck. You look at it and it tells you, and it tells you why, and it tells you justifications, and it helps you understand. And he ties it in with zodiac, and he ties it in with planets, and he ties it in with colors, and he ties it in with space and time. And it's just a gorgeous synthesis of occultism. And if anybody here is a serious occultist or even interested in being into magic, I highly just recommend just looking at that deck and what it tells you about um, Kabbalah and like the hidden world and the, the physical world. It's just, it's, it's truly magical. And I know that that's kind of cliche and I don't mean it in like a weird way, but it's truly, the reason that I'm doing this presentation in entirety is that I would love to introduce you to the Toth Tarot deck and I'd love for you to see what that means. between the, I, I agree with Rigardi that between 1914 and Crowley's death, he did a lot more damage to his reputation. He was kind of an awful person to people that cared about. He relied on the wrong people. 
He didn't produce a lot that was really good. He kind of said a lot of shitty things about a lot of people that cared about him. And he just wasn't a very nice person. But that tarot deck and that book are completely worth, they're definitely worth looking at if you're just even interested in magic at all or interested in the idea of magic or the idea of the universe or anything. Just, just check it out and touch it and feel it. I think it's, Oh, that sounds so, I'm sorry, that sounds really gooey. I, I don't mean it that way. It's just, it's weird. All right. Now we're going to have this whole thing on the Kabbalah, but unfortunately the website that was supposed to have the way the Kabbalah looked for the Golden Dawn deck or the Rider Waite deck and Trelly's deck had it wrong, and they had the Lust card in the wrong place because they didn't read the text. And therefore, it's very difficult to understand. But, all right. Kabbalah. Three intact vessels, seven broken vessels. There's an abyss. There's an above the abyss. There's a below the abyss. Crowley redefines the way that the paths are structured. And it really makes a lot more sense that way and helps your mind get a lot get around the fact that there is no duality above the abyss and there's duality below it. And it's it's so hard to just do this in like a class. I don't think it's safe. Anyway. He also contributed seven 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 in 1909. And if you are into the Kabbalah and into Jewish mysticism, I recommend checking that out. Though at the same time, I recommend actually checking out um, Gertrude Schlohim's analysis in the Kabbalah from an actual historic medieval standpoint, because they miss a lot of the stuff that the Gnostics did. And well, the Gnostics thought that they did, which they didn't. It's uh, a little complicated. Um, Crowley did not know Hebrew. Crowley knew Arabic. He knew a lot of things, but um, I think that he may have glossed over a little bit of the Hebrew mysticism and tried really hard to work it into his own. He tried really hard with Gematria. He worked with the Gematria until it gave him the exact result that he wanted, which is why he focuses a lot on the Greek and the Hebrew. So, like, he, um, he tried really hard. He also made the stipulation that the soul got transferred at six months in the womb, and no, no less because he wanted to be LeVay, and he wanted to be the incarnation of him. He also wanted to be the incarnation of Kelly from, you know, like the, the famous angelic scryings. Like, he tried really hard to make himself the coolest guy that he could from any point in time. He really, he worked at it. He worked at it really hard, and he was like, no, I was really this great guy at every point in history. <laughs> like... It was kind of painful to look at when you really like take it and look at it. It's like, oh honey, I know. I know you wanted to be great all the time. You wanted to be the incarnation of anybody that was awesome, but you just, you can't make up rules based around this just because you want it. And he really did a lot of the time. It was kind of um, stressful for other occultists, I think, especially occultists who followed him that he learned from.
Now, once again, you'll have to excuse me because, like, I just uh, I just got back from Venice on Wednesday, and I was doing this while I was while I was away. So, I am missing a slide about the Book of the Law. Does anybody know about the Book of the Law? Can we talk about it? Yeah. Can we talk about it? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Come on, come up here. You're good at this. Um, I can pull it up on my computer. I was planning on it. Great, but let's, cool. talk, let's talk about the Book of the Law. Okay. Let's talk about 1904. All right. Yeah. We're talking about 1904. We're talking about Alistair Cowell. We're talking about Rose. And we're talking about around noon to one. His channel text. Yeah, his channel text. Let's talk about it. Okay. What's your favorite chapter from News Book? Come on. Um, I, I don't know that I have a favorite chapter. Well, a favorite phrase. I mean, this, um, there's something about yet I, uh, its secret center, yet um, he shall be known and I never. Um, uh, and, yeah, is. I'm totally pulling him on the spot because I'm just, he's been really good and I just want to do this. I, really, I, I wish I, I would love to pull it up. Because, I mean, uh, in any wisdom tradition, like speaking of like the experience of the absolute, or like or that which is, or seeing that which is um, unspeakable, but uh, you're only like the manifestation, the manifestation is half. There are the, the two deities of the Lima being had and new, kind of represented as had as a point, a point you can see. Yeah. It has, you put it on the dot, even though it doesn't have dimension. It has no, it has no fundamental existence. It has location, but no quality, which is sort of like the metaphor for us, especially like in his. Now I'm sort of extrapolating my own ideas of what he's expressing, but sort of like the, uh, like um, uh, the Buddhist understanding of there not being an intrinsic self, uh, that there are qualities, but there isn't an essence. So like the point has a quality, but there's no, there isn't a fundamental uh, thinginess to it. It's just mere location. Um, but that's the thing that you see, but that isn't like the essence of what is, like the fabric of reality, what is, like when everything falls away, like what is there remain? What remains is new, what remains is everything. Um, that's what I think is cool about Crow. Days. And I know this is a little bit of clusterbuck, and I'm sorry, because this is just what happens at conventions, and that's what I do. But uh, over three successive days, he received three things from three deities, which also had a big chunk of him in them. Because if you look at his poetry and you look at his verse, you can see it. And he actually talks about it in his diaries after. There's a lot of work to be done and a lot of looking to be done at him. But he has three distinct deities, Nu, Had, and the Rahurku. And they're all different, and they're all weird, and they're all kind of fucked up, and they're all kind of fabulous. And the basic message is to do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law. Love is a law, love under will. Which, those of you who are neo-pagan may understand a bastardization of, perhaps, anybody? Wiccans? Do have Wiccans here? Yay! Yeah, okay, so, yeah. So that's where that came from, because uh, Gardner was actually an OTO member, and he and Crowley had lots of explicit correspondence before his death about, like, hey, why didn't my really strange, strong hermeticism that takes a lot of work catch on? 
we gotta change this. We gotta make this a little simpler. And he did, and it totally worked. So Crowley, when you when you look at Gardnerian Wicca and Wiccan traditions, you can see if you actually go back and ask, hey, so why is this the elemental attribution of this? You have to go back to high magic and medieval magic, and that's where you'll find the reasoning for all these things. So he's kind of like wonderfully directly responsible for all neo-paganism at this point as we know it. Because as an archaeologist, I can assure you that what we think of as pagans today are nothing like pagans of the past. I promise. I can give you my word. Just say it. Not to be a jerk. Anyway, um, I hope that I was able to give you a little bit of perspective on this guy and what he did, and that you feel like maybe you know a little bit more about this guy and what he did. And I would love it if you had questions about this guy and what he did, and if you wanted to ask me about it, because I'm going to be around all weekend talking about this guy and what he did. And also giving tarot readings with his deck because I'm practicing, so if anybody wants a free reading, I'm around. Just saying. Thank you for listening, everyone. What you just heard was Lex talking about Alistair Crowley at the Steampunk World's Fair, 2015 World's Fair, of course. And they already have the dates set up for next year's World's Fair. It's May 13th through the 15th in Piscataway, New Jersey at the Embassy Suites and Radisson Hotels once again. And if you have enjoyed this type of coverage and you want to make sure that I can get to conventions and keep the website running and actually just live and you know like do things like um put gas in my car and feed myself then um please head on over to patreon.com slash amber unmasked and you can sponsor the the website and the show you can do it for as little as a dollar a week it's really simple and um if you have any questions i have sort of a a fact page up on amber unmasked and um you can find me on twitter at elizabeth amber so i can answer your questions there as well Cheers.